Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us today. If you'd like to contribute financially to this ministry, you can do so at BethesdaChurch.tv slash give and simply select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. What's up, everybody? How do you follow that up? I'm telling you. It's good to see you tonight on First Wednesday. Welcome to Bethesda Church. We're honored that you're here tonight. Um, Tonight, I I do have a word for you, and I'm excited about what God is going to say to us. I want to do some teaching and some preaching, and I just want to say up front, don't check out early, all right? Um, We've got a lot of scriptures that I want to get through, but we are going somewhere with this tonight. I simply want to call this deliverance from distress. Deliverance from distress. Um, And just to make sure we're all on the same page tonight, I want to stop right here and just define distress. When we talk about being delivered from distress, what are we talking about when when we use the word distress? That word is often defined as great pain, anxiety, sorrow, acute physical or mental suffering, affliction. It also means a state of extreme misfortune. It means um, that which causes pain, suffering, trouble, danger. And the Hebrew meaning means affliction, calamity, or misery. When we talk about being distressed, we are talking about experiencing a season of pain. Everybody here has had a season of pain. You've had a season of trauma, a season of struggle, something that even though you love God, you were going through something that it seemed like there was no way out of that. And it can be physical pain. It could be a sickness in your body. It could be something you're dealing with emotionally. And emo- how many of sometimes emotional weights are worse than physical weights? Um, and, and so you can go through seasons of distress. And when we talk about being distressed, what we are talking about is a prolonged season of pain. That it, it's not a short season. Like most people can handle pain if they know it's like two days. If it's two days of pain, I can handle it. But sometimes pain lasts longer than two days. Sometimes it lasts longer than two weeks, two months, two years. Some people have gone through tremendous seasons of struggle. And I believe that God has a word for us tonight. And I believe God's going to use a story that sometimes we overlook because it's one of the stories that we heard in children's church like back in the day and you guys know how we are. When we talk about the, the old Bible stories that a lot of times if you talk about David and Goliath or you talk about Moses delivering to people, a lot of times we just check out because we think that we have already extracted everything out of the text that we could possibly get. Uh, and we do ourselves a big disservice because a lot of times you, what you have to understand about the Word of God is that it can never be exasperated, which means that God can show you something with a passage today and you not see something else that He'll show you later on. How many know that the Word of God is continually speaking to us? 
And so we're going to look at a scripture tonight, a, a text that I think is going to speak to us about being delivered from distress. Jonah chapter 2 is where I want to go, and I want to start in verse 1 of that chapter. It says, from, the inside, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. How many that, that right there is good news. That from the belly of a well, he prayed, and God heard him. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight. And I love this, this part right here. He said, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. In other words, at some point, Jonah got his eyes off of God. And he says right here, from the, the belly of a well, I will look again. Come on, hit your neighbor and say, you need to look again. I, I'll look again towards your holy temple. He says, the engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountain, I sank down. The earth beneath barred me, barred me in forever. But you, Lord, my God, brought my life up from the pit. I just want to stop and just say, if God has ever brought your life up from the pit, we ought to just take about 10 seconds right here and give God a praise for that. Has God brought you up out of the pit, right? Man, this is so powerful. He said, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from, from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, I will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry ground. Now, I love this story for a lot of reasons, um, and there's a lot of, lot of things that we can pull out, and, and it's so interesting to me that we get a glimpse in this text of Jonah, and he's inside the belly of a well, and we get a glimpse of his thoughts, we get a glimpse of his distress, we also get a, a front row seat to the prayer that he prayed when it looked like there was no way out. What, what we are seeing here is a man under great distress who is calling out to God. Now, when you look at the life of Jonah, his problems and what he went through parallels some of the same problems that Israel went through as a nation. See, many years after Jonah's life was over, Israel still gained insight from Jonah's life. They, they were still blessed by what God did in his life. Now, a few things about him, a few points that I think are important. Jonah ministered about 800 years before Jesus came. And during this season, 800 to 750 BC, Israel was prospering, all right? Israel was doing really, really well. 
They had regained their borders from Syria, and they were blessed, and their army had become powerful. Other nations were afraid of them, and so it was a very prosperous time for the nation. And God raised up not only Jonah, but he raised up another individual that we're familiar with by the name of Elisha. And so that these, these guys were ministering during this time period. And I mentioned to you on Sunday that um, you can be wealthy and love Jesus. And, and we looked at Joseph of Arimathea who was wealthy but had a love for God. And, and, and we see that Israel was in a time of prosperity, all right? Everybody say prosperity. Okay, they're in a time of prosperity. Now, some of you are already thinking, Pastor Chad, are you one of those prosperity preachers? I don't know about all that, but I'm definitely not a poverty preacher. Some of y'all are. Listen, listen, it's okay to be blessed. It's okay to prosper. The, the Word of God says that God wants you to prosper and be in health. How many of that's good news, right? So God wants you to prosper, but here is the problem with prosperity. A lot of us, we don't think there's any problems with prosperity. But one of the problems is this. The plight of prosperity is that it often produces in us attitudes of complacency and overconfidence. That many times when things are going well, now listen, I want you to be blessed. I'm praying for you. I want to be blessed. But what we have to understand about being blessed is that if we're not careful, we begin to develop attitudes of complacency. Attitudes where we start trusting our prosperity more than the one who gave us the prosperity. I have people ask me all the time, what's wrong with America? Why can't we see miracles and, and healings and, and breakthrough like Africa and all these other... I'll tell you why. It's because we trust our prosperity. We, we trust our blessings more than we trust God. And, and so Israel was gloating over the fact that they had become strong. If you study their history, they were gloating about it. And they did not care about the other nations. Now this is a problem because God sent, later on, He sent two more prophets to them to let them know that if they did not have a change of heart, that judgment would come upon them. And eventually, judgment came upon them in the form of the Assyrian invasion in 722 B.C. God also, during this time, He raised up Jonah. He put a call on Jonah's life. And he told Jonah to go to the capital city of Assyria, the city of Nineveh, as we learned in children's church back in the day. And God wanted Jonah to go deal with stubborn, rebellious people and call them back to repentance. That was his assignment. That, God said, I want you to go do that. And instead of Jonah going to do that, Jonah, Jonah became stubborn and rebellious. I find it interesting that sometimes God will ask you to do something and minister in an area that you've struggled in. 
The very thing that was wrong with Jonah, rebellious and stubborn, God says, I want you to go to the rebellious and stubborn people and tell them they need to change. How many know, before God can do a work for the people you minister to, oftentimes God's got to do a work in you. See, it's in the process that the the anointing, the presence of God, you know, the thing that makes ministry easy comes on our life as we go through the seasons of God breaking us down and we, we don't like that part. But how many of God will break you down before he builds you up? He, he's got to strip some of the stuff that we think we need. How many of that, that a lot of the things we think we need, we, we find out later we didn't really need that in the first place. God just had to show us that we needed to depend on him and not what we had put our trust in. And so he raises up Jonah. He calls him to deal with this stubborn people and that he, he's angry. The nation of Israel, they don't care about other nations, and Jonah don't care about the other nations. In short, Jonah desired mercy for himself, but judgment for everyone else. Now, we could be critical and say, that ain't right, but we're not a whole lot different. How many know that if you ever go through a season of struggle, you want mercy? But sometimes when other people are going through a season of struggle, we're quick to judge. You know, we we can be critical of Jonah, but if, if we were to put ourselves in the shoes of people that maybe we're judging we could get a better perspective of, of what they're dealing with. Now, the reason this was an issue is because Jonah failed to understand that God's call, God's blessing, what God want, wanted to do was not only for Israel, but it was for the nations of the world. And, and uh, we don't have to look any further than the call to Abraham when God first raised up the nation of Israel. Look at Genesis 12:3. He said, I will bless those who bless you, Whoever curses you, I will curse. All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Genesis 18, 18 says, Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. Genesis twenty two eighteen says, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. So God was saying, I am going to bless my people. But I want to make sure that my people bless other nations. All right? So that the blessing was connected. It wasn't to be uh, exclusive. Like, you know how church people are. My four and no more. Y'all never met those people that say, we're the only ones making it? Y'all never heard that kind of preaching? We're the only ones going to heaven? Everybody else is going to hell in a handbasket? You know, they're exclusive. Like, it's our club, we're, we're in, and everybody else is out. And that was the attitude that Jonah had. But this carried over not only it, it, from the Old Testament, but it carries over into the New Testament with what God has commissioned us to do. Because look at what Jesus said in Matthew 28. He said, go, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All right? So this blessing, listen, you're not prepared to be blessed until you're ready to bless someone else. See, a lot of people can't handle blessing because they get stingy with their blessing. 
They get greedy with their blessing. They forget where the blessing came from. And that's why they refuse to share the blessing because they think that they have made this for themselves. But listen, anything that you have, any good thing that you have, you need to recognize tonight where it came from. It came from our Father in heaven. He's the one that has blessed us with what we have, and we need to be willing to share that. So Jonah's running from the call of God. He's running from the, the, the thing God had told him to do and commissioned him to do, and he ends up in, in a place of spiritual distress in the belly of a well. His, his distress, I want you to grab this, was self-induced. This wasn't the devil coming after him. This was a self-induced dilemma brought on by his own disobedience. And the good news is that in this place of distress, in the belly of a well, Jonah experienced God in a new way. Now, now this is so important that we grab hold because you got religious people that will, will say, you know, um, if, if you brought your trouble on your own life, God's not going to help you. And so this, what happened with Jonah makes religious people mad. Because what we learn about Jonah is that God delivers us out of all of our troubles, even the ones that we brought upon our own lives. How many stupid things have you done and how many messes have you created and you thought there's no way out, but God in His graciousness, in His mercy showed up and brought you out in spite of yourself. I know we get a little bit, we've been saved 10 years and now we just think, you know, I got something to do with it. I know you think you're all that in a bag of chips. But you're not all that. Listen, you will struggle at times. There are times when you will do stupid things. And you will need God to help you. There are times that you make bad choices. I mean, think about Peter. You know, he, he had this great call on his life. But Jesus told him before he ever stepped into that call, he said, Peter, um, Satan wants to desi he desires to sift you as wheat. He wants to destroy you. But Peter, I have prayed for you. And what I love about that text is he said, he said, I have prayed not that you don't fail. How many of God knew Peter would fail? He said, I have prayed that your faith don't fail. And the reason that that's significant is because I may fall, but if my faith doesn't fall, I'll have the ability to get back up. So, so you got to understand, God... God knows that we're going to struggle, and a lot of times, people, they, they bring stuff upon themselves, and then they, they get in the molly grubs. How many of shame, guilt, condemnation show up? Start knocking on the door. Shame comes. Then you start feeling, oh, I'm not valuable. How many of you have ever said, you don't have to raise your hand, just think, how many of you, you, you have ever said, yeah, I kind of brought it on myself? We've all been there, where we think because we brought it on ourselves that God could never deliver us, that God could never show up. But throughout Scripture, we see God 
as the one who delivers. Psalm 34, 4, this is a great verse for you. He said, I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. Psalm 34, 19 says, the righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. That word all in Hebrew means all. Look at your neighbor and tell them, all means all. Self-induced. You, you know, a lot of times we get so wrapped up in, is this the devil? Is this what a person did to me? Or is this what I did to myself? And, and we, we we're trying to figure out which one it is, which one it is. And you can spend months and years sometimes trying to discern exactly what it is, but there comes a point where you've got to recognize it don't matter what it is. I'm just coming out of this. I'm not staying in the bondage. I'm not staying in a place of distress. My God delivers. The same God who delivered Lot from the destruction of Sodom. The same God that delivered David from Goliath. The same God that delivered so many people from Scripture is the same God that will deliver you. Same God that will deliver you. See, sometimes we find ourselves emotionally, and and, and growing up in church, they never talked about emotions at all. Like, we, we do talk about body, soul, and spirit around here a lot. Like, we're a triune being. And your emotions, your mind, will, and, and emotions, your emotions can be oppressed just like your physical body can be oppressed. And so we, growing up in church, if you were struggling emotionally, you had a devil. Now, if that's your theology, then if you're sick, you got a devil. You following me? And, and so we can struggle emotionally. We can struggle spiritually at times. And it kind of reminds me, because when you struggle emotionally, have you ever felt like you have been, you're being pulled in like a hundred directions? Like you're not winning anywhere, but you're being stretched everywhere. Like all over the map. It reminds me of a guy I heard about. He went to the airport and he went to, ch- to the check-in counter. And here's what he said. He had three, three pieces of luggage and he told the person at the, the check-in counter, he said, I want one bag to go to Seattle, one bag to go to New York, and I want one bag to go to Boston. And the check-in person looked back at him and said, sir, I'm sorry, but we don't do that. And he said, why not? You did it last week. (laughs) I mean, that's the way life feels sometimes. It feels like you're being pulled in so many directions. Now, here's what I wanted to get to. There's three things that I think we can pull out of this that I want you to get tonight. Three lessons that we can learn from Jonah's dilemma, his, his distress. Number one, deliverance comes through prayer. Deliverance comes through prayer. Deliverance does not begin with your strategies. Deliverance does not begin with your wisdom. 
It doesn't begin with, with the plan that you can come up with. If you're in a place of distress, which is a season of prolonged struggle, your deliverance is tied and connected to prayer. Now, nobody's excited about that. They say the average minister prays eight minutes a week. If the ministers are praying eight minutes a week, we know the people are praying less than that. Now, how many know we ought to be praying more than a minute a day? And I'm not, I'm not one of these, you better pray or you're going to hell. I, that's not what, but if you're really in relationship with God, you got to pray. You have to spend time in God's presence. So deliverance comes through prayer, and prayer is admitting our inadequacies. See, the height of pride is the lack of prayer. When we don't pray, we're arrogant. We're full of ourselves. And, and I, you you, you got you to trust me with this. If you're arrogant and you're overconfident in yourself, God will eventually bring you back to a place that you'll have to pray. God is not going to let you be so comfortable that you think you can go through life and never pray, never fight the devil, never engage in spiritual warfare, never have to proclaim the word over a situation in your life. Come on, we got to be able to work the word. We got to know how to pray. And, and we shouldn't wait for a problem. See, half of us, when a problem comes, we got to spend like two hours just getting ourselves right. Oh God, I'm sorry for A, and I'm sorry for B. And I'm... You know I'm preaching the truth. Instead of just rebuking whatever it is and speaking to it to get out and all that, we, we got to spend all that time working on us. Getting our minds right again. Getting our hearts right again. But if we'll stay in a posture of prayer, prayer is predicated on personal relationship. If you're in relationship with someone, it doesn't matter if it's a girlfriend, a wife, your best friend, it doesn't matter who it is. If it's a real relationship, communication's involved. And yet people say we love God and we never talk to Him. We never spend time with Him. We never just sit in His presence and enjoy. How many of good friends can hang out and not even say anything? Because they enjoy one another's presence. It's, it's a special thing. And so Jonah 2 and 1 says, from, the in, from inside the fish, I love that, from inside the fish, y'all. That's the problem. We wait until we're inside the fish before we pray. We want to wait until, man, we've tried everything. We've called everybody. We, we've sought count. We've Googled it. Y'all know I'm telling the truth tonight. But from inside the fish, he prayed. From the place of his distress, from the place that looked like, I'm dying in here. I, this is it. I was disobedient. This is self-induced. 
I'm stuck. This is the end. But from that place, he called, and I love what it says, that he prayed to the Lord his God. Look at how personal that got. Even though he was disobedient, even though, I just want to encourage somebody that's going through a bad season, and maybe you've even made bad decisions, that God still loves you. And he will, we sung about it tonight, he'll fight your battles. But you, you've got to come back to a place of personal, you can't get, you can't get what I'm talking about through, just through me. Like, I, I'm going to depend on pastor's sermons to do it. Listen, if that's the only word and only presence of God you're exposed to, listen, you're going to starve to death. And you're not going to be prepared when the enemy throws his attacks against you. Not only do we learn that prayer is predicated on a personal relationship, but prayer is possible because of God's promise to hear and answer. Now, why is it that God can set the table and say, if you'll call on me, I will show up and show you great and mighty things that you can't even comprehend, and yet even though God sets the table, we don't pray. Even though he attached a promise that not only will I hear you, I will then answer you. Jonah 2 and 2 says this. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. Isaiah 65, 24, awesome verse. Before they call, God said, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear them. Like, what, you know what God is saying? That if we're in personal relationship with Him and we're communicating, before we can get the prayer out, God's already answering it. God is already meeting us. He's already hearing it. He's already giving us an answer. And, and He wants to do that. The, the next thing about prayer, though, is prayer requires confession and repentance of sin. Now y'all really nervous. But prayer requires confession. Jonah 2.4 said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. You know what Jonah's confessing right here? I got sidetracked. I had neglected you. I was not looking to you for answers. I was doing my own thing. But in this situation, I realize I have nowhere to go, and, and I'm going I'm to look to you again. Maybe you're here tonight, and you used to be close to God, but for whatever reason, you're not. I want to encourage you to look again. I, I want to encourage you to look to God again. Jonah 2.7, he says, When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Jonah confessed that he failed to look to God. Oh, I want you to grab this. Healing often follows confession. Very practical, very simple, but how often do we fight battles alone? How often do we go through things and we don't share? We, we, we don't share with somebody that, that cares about us that we're struggling. How I many it's okay every once in a while to let somebody else know you're not okay? It's all right to say, I'm struggling. It's all right to say, I need God to show up. Healing follows confession. So deliverance comes through prayer. 
But deliverance also comes, number two, through purity. Deliverance comes through purity. Jonah 2 and 8 says, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. Now this verse, I believe it speaks directly to our times. He says, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. In other words, our dependency is on something other than God. That's what, making, that's what idolatry is all about. When you look at idolatry, if you were to you know, define idolatry, a few definitions of it, idolatry is when we refashion God in our own image. That's what idolatry is. We re, in other words, we take God and we make him into what we want him to be. Instead of just taking him for who he says he is, how many people are guilty of this in our generation? They want to take God and make him into exactly what they want or what they need out of God. How many, God don't need your help in that area. He's God all by himself. So we don't have to refashion him. The children of Israel did something really, really stupid. They, God had just delivered them from Egypt and brought them through the Red Sea. And they no more got through and got delivered. God had showed up that they then started making golden calves. And, and, and the interesting thing about this is golden calf to worship. Now, now check this out. In Exodus 32, 4, he took what they had handed him and made it into an idol, cast it in the shape of a calf, fashion it, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. God had just supernaturally delivered them, and now they got a little gold cow and said, that's our God. They refashioned God in their own image. The next thing about idolatry is when we, idolatry is when we operate in willful disobedience. Willful. If you'll remember, King Saul was the first king, Right? We always talk about the second king, David. But there wouldn't have been a David had Saul handled things right. Wouldn't have needed David. God could have used Saul to do it. But Saul was willfully disobedient. And 1 Samuel 15, 22 and 23 says, because of his willful disobedience, his idolatry, that God rejected him as king. So when, when we operate in idolatry, when we depend on things outside of God, we are forfeiting His grace. We are forfeiting His mercy. Idolatry also consists of immoral living. Idolatry consists of greed. And, and so there's a lot of layers to idolatry. There's a, lot of th how many, there's a lot of things that we can depend on outside of God if we're not careful. We can put our trust in things that have no ability to help us or to bring us out. Now, I had the scripture. I was going to read all of them, but you go read it on your own time. Hosea chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. That book is about how Israel continually did the wrong thing over and over and over again. Like, the story of Israel is we love God, now we don't care about God. We love God, we got a little blessing, now we're ignoring God. And so it was a pattern in their lives. But Hosea 11, I won't read all of it, but if you look 
at verse number, let's say right around eight. He says, how can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over Israel? How can I treat you like Admah? How can I make you like Zebohim? My heart, this is God, my heart is changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. I will not carry out my fierce anger, nor will I devastate Ephraim again, for I am God and not a man, the Holy One among you. I will not come against their cities. They will follow the Lord. He will roar like a lion, and when he roars, his children will come trembling from the west. They will come from Egypt trembling like sparrows, from Assyria fluttering like doves. I will settle them in their home, declares the Lord. That's a long way to get to this point. They kept messing up, messing up, messing up, messing up, messing up, and God says, I'll deliver you anyhow. That my compassion for you is still being aroused and I will still deliver you. So God will deliver us. We, we have to understand deliverance comes through prayer. Deliverance comes through purity. And I had to save like the real exciting one for last. Deliverance comes through praise. Now we got to get a hold of this one because I believe in the church we've gotten too cute. We've gotten too cute. Like everybody wants to worship, but nobody wants to praise. Oh, we, we can do this. Like we can do that whole worship thing, but we don't do the praise thing. And the Bible talks about praise and worship. We want to bypass praise and go straight to worship. And you know why? Because we're comfortable with that. We're comfortable with but praise offends your pride. In the scripture, praise was radical. I don't have time to preach on praise, but like the whole thing, but praise involves shouts of joy. Oh, but, but Pastor, you know, I'm just a quiet person. No, I watched you at the football game and you were absurd. Don't give me that junk. You're not that quiet. Praise means my voice is lifted, I clap my hands, I may scream, I may twirl, I may dance. Why? Because God had brought my life up from the pit. He's worthy of my prayer. It may look foolish to you, may not make sense to you, but I can't bypass praise on my way to worship. I will enter His gates with thanksgiving. I will enter His courts with praise. I, I got to enter through praise. And we want to bypass the praise part and go right in to worship. And that's not the worship team's fault. Oh, if they would just sing the right... No, it ain't about the song, baby. If you're in relationship with Jesus, you come in those doors with a praise. Oh, I'm going to preach this thing whether anybody gets with it or not. You come in with a praise in your heart, a, a praise on your lips. You don't need a band to get you primed and pumped. You come with something on the inside of you that says God has been good. We come in with it. We don't wait for somebody to get us there. We put all this pressure on worship teams. My God, no wonder they're nervous half the time. 
you get up here and they're trying to jump around and play and sing and worship God and you're... Thinking that it's just something we do to fill up time so that we can get to the real reason why we're here is the Word. But what you fail to recognize is that God is not learning anything as I preach. It's His Word. God is not taking notes tonight. He already knows it. So he's getting nothing out of this. Preaching's for you, not for God. But praise is not for you, it is for God. I wish somebody would get a hold of what God actually gets out of a church service. Praise, worship, thanking him for bringing us out of the pit, thanking him for showing us grace when we know we didn't deserve it. So I'm just, I don't feel good. I'm tired. I'm sure Jesus didn't want to carry the cross all, all the way up Golgotha. I've went old school tonight, Pastor Josh. What has happened? Y'all come back on Sunday, all right? I'll be nicer, all the guests will be here. Tonight, I'm, I'm pastor mode right now. We'll handle the guests Sunday. We'll be kind. I'll smile. All right, I'll do all that. But man, we, we got to prepare the way. Listen, the, the, the longer I do this, the more I, I realize people need a, an encounter with Jesus. Like a real face-to-face, life-changing encounter with Jesus. And, and listen, we have to prepare the way. This place could be so on fire that the atmosphere could be so conducive for miracles and healings if we could just get our mind off of our own issues and get our hearts set on God and His goodness. And, and, and we can prepare the way for the guests. So deliverance comes through praise. Jonah 2.9 says, But I, with shouts of grateful praise, I'll sacrifice to you And then he says, what I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. This picture kind of tickles me. Because he's in the fish, praising God. And some of us can't praise him because we're tired. (laughs) Whoop, whoop. Like, he's, he's in the belly of a fish. Can you imagine? He says, seaweed around my head, he says. And, and in that condition, he starts shouting praises. Now, how many know when you're in a distressed place as bad as that, it don't matter what anybody thinks. Some of us, we come in, we say, well, I don't know why they're so loud, and why is that person so crazy in their prayer? You don't know what God brought them out of. You don't know the price of that praise. It costs them something. And it's significant because, and, God, and the Holy Spirit gave this to me this afternoon. Distress is often surrounded by deception. 
when you're in a distressed place, you can't see clearly. Your perspective is off. You can only see the problem. You can only see what's wrong. When when the pain lasts long enough, we lose perspective. And, And that brings me back to why we need the body of Christ and why we need community and why we need to get in a small group is because there will be seasons that you will have to walk through, that you will have to walk through a distressed place And in that place, you're going to need somebody to help give you proper perspective. It's a powerful thing. Because when we're going through it, a lot of times we can't see what we need to see. See, praise is a weapon. Praise brings the Holy Spirit to where I, I am. Now, I know He lives in us, but you need, what I mean by that is that the Holy Spirit gets involved in your distressed place. My praise brings the Holy Spirit into my struggle. That's why the Scripture says things like, praise looks good on you. The, the Scripture says that God teaches my fingers to fight and my hands to war. What, what in the world does that mean? I do battle when I lift my hands. I'm not just going through emotion, that I'm spiritually, I'm engaged in a battle. And, and, and so, when, when we're in that distressed place, hit your neighbor and say, hang in there, he's almost done. I don't want to lose you, because I, I had to get to this point. When we're in that distressed place, and we call on God for deliverance, we need to praise God right then. You know what some of us, we, we failed it. We want to wait until the miracle happens. We want to, we'll praise Him when the breakthrough happens. But I want to ask, can you praise Him before the walls fall, Joshua? Can, can you give God praise when it hasn't turned around? Can you give God praise when the sickness is still in your body? See, that, that's another level that, that we learn from Jonah that, He could have just said, well, I blew it. (laughs) Gonna die here. But yet in that condition, he starts praising God. Worship team, come help me land this. Thank you. Praise is faith in action. A a lot of times we, we want a next step. I really believe for some of you, your next step in your distress place It's to quit going over the problem and over the distress. And your next step, which is a faith step, is praise. I don't know why we're surprised when we go through a battle and the first thing the devil wants to steal is our praise. And you can watch it when it's happening. You hear about somebody and they're going through a bad thing and you know about it. And you used to watch them praise God. You used to watch them worship and just be in awe of God and in love with God. And then all of a sudden they they come and their praise is falling down seven, eight levels. Because the distressed place 
is a place of deception. And, and what you have to understand, the enemy knows the power of your praise. Even though we forget sometimes the power of our praise and, and that distressed place, if listen to, listen to your pastor tonight, that, that place of pain, it can lead you into a spiritual rut. It can lead you in, into a spiritual ditch. I, I want to take it a step further. It can cause the anointing. Everybody say the anointing. The anointing abides in you. Did you know you're anointed? See, as the body of Christ, we are anointed. Like, the anointing's not just for the preacher. You're anointed. And, and the anointing abides, but what happens in that distressed place, if we allow the enemy to steal our praise, is that the anointing becomes stale. I'm going to preach a message about it sometime. The Bible talks about f- flies in the anointing oil. Dead flies that cause this precious perfume to stink because we allowed junk in. We allowed doubt in. We, we allowed fear in. We allowed all these different things in. And it brings us to a stale, and, and, and instead of really functioning with the Holy Spirit, we become religious machinery where we just go through the motions and we check boxes but I believe there are some people tonight that you're in a place where you can't afford to be religious and go through the motions and check another box you need the anointing of the Holy Spirit that destroys yokes and removes burdens and praise what praise does is that it will bring the anointing to where you are it will bring the Holy Spirit into your situation, into your problem. You say, well, pastor, do I need the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. Jesus would have never said, it's better for you that I go so that the Holy Spirit can come if you didn't need it, baby. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. Before service, I was in my office and I brought my two sons with me tonight. And, and I, I was just praying and man, I just, I felt an unction and man, just started just praying the pain off the wall in the Holy Ghost. And Eli was sitting at my computer doing his little thing. And then he went, what are you doing? Yes, we pray in tongues around here. We believe that we need the power of the Holy Spirit. I said, son, I'm praying. He said, is everything okay? I said, everything's great, son. I said, that's just the Holy Spirit. And I told him, you need the Holy Spirit. You need to go ahead and get filled. And, and, and so we need this power. And, and, and we, sometimes we don't recognize how much we need this power until we're in the middle of something. Until we're in the middle of something that don't look good. And you may be in that situation tonight where it looks bad. It doesn't look like there's a way out. You don't see a, a way out. But I believe the Holy Spirit sent me here tonight to tell somebody that your praise can bring the Holy Spirit into your struggle. That your praise can open up a gate for the Holy Spirit to begin to move in your life. And I want to tell this story. I heard it on a podcast, but I think I had heard it before. And it comes from our former general overseer. He pastored a church in Birmingham, Alabama. And 
great general of the faith, great preacher of the gospel, all those things. And his name is Dr. Raymond, Raymond Culpepper. And this happened many years ago. But one night, his 14-year-old daughter got into a car with one of her friends. And it was really late at night, and her friend was 16. And they were just going to go get some food, and they were going to come right back. Well, en route to go get food late that night, something happened to the car, and it broke down. And so they're sitting on the side of the road, and it wasn't a couple seconds later that someone pulled in right behind them, and a guy jumped out of the car. They didn't know this guy. And he forced this 14-year-old girl, pastor's daughter, and her friend, forced them into his car. And he put the 16-year-old girl in the passenger seat, and he put the pastor's daughter in the back seat. And he is cussing, he is saying all these terrible things he's gonna do to them. And, and the pastor's daughter just happened to look over and saw in that back seat a box that had a knife, it had rope, it had tape. And, and so God only knows what this guy had planned to do to these two young girls. And it was at that point she told her dad later, she said at that moment, the power of the Holy Spirit came into that car and I began to pray out loud in the Holy Spirit. And, and as I began to pray out loud in the Holy Spirit, this guy who was cussing and saying all this stuff he was gonna do to them, he said, what's she doing? What's wrong with her? What's she saying? And her friend on the front, on, on, in the passenger seat, looked at him and said, that's the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the presence of God on her life. And about that time, she started praying in the Holy Spirit. And that guy pulled his car over and said, I can't take this. You guys got to get out of my car. And so I came to tell somebody that your praise can bring the Holy Spirit into your distress. Your praise can bring the Holy Spirit into your addiction. Your praise can bring the Holy Spirit into anything in your life that you are struggling with. I believe tonight through the power of the Holy Spirit that no weapon formed against me shall prosper. If you believe it, give God a praise tonight. Come on, if you believe it. Give God a praise in this house. Come on, somebody. I know it's a bad place. I know you've been struggling. But I dare you right now to take about 20 seconds, come on, right now, and just praise God. Come on, lift up your voice. Come on, let Him know that you love Him tonight. Come on, in spite of what you're going through, come on, let God know. Woo! I tell you, I sense this thing tonight. Now, now stay, stay standing, stay standing. God's going to do something tonight. Watch this. It started out, Jonah in rebellion, right? It moved to Jonah in distress. But that third step of all of that is that Jonah learned God's faithful even when we haven't been. Now watch this. I love this. He says, Jonah said, 
at the very end of that, he said, what I have vowed, I will make good. Man, this, this right here will change your life. He makes a commitment in this moment to fulfill his vow. He's saying to God, God, if you'll deliver me, I'll return and pick my calling back up. I wonder how many people have forfeited their calling because of their distress. But Jonah in the moment says, God, if you, you bring me out of this, I'm going back to my calling. And, and here's the point. Deliverance needs to be followed with obedience to the call of God. See, a lot of people get delivered and go back to the same mess. But when God brings you out, how many of you need to stay out? The Bible talks about the dog going back to its vomit, doesn't it? Going back to the same junk, the same old stuff. And probably my favorite part of the verse, Jonah 2 and 10, it says, the Lord commanded the fish. I just want to stop right there. God spoke to his problem. God spoke to his issue. This tells us that everything in creation is under God's control. And he can change anything to fulfill his purpose. And it all ends with this statement, the fish vomited Jonah onto dry ground. You know what that tells me? Deliverance is messy. See, God may not deliver you the way you thought he should do it. How many of you have ever come up with a plan on how you're going to get through something and you've come up with another plan? You had a plan A, you had a plan B, and you had a plan C, and God wasn't in any of your plans. God says, I got another way. I'm not going to bring you out the way you thought I was going to bring you out. So we, we need to get to that place where we don't care how he does it. We just believe he's going to do it. Do you believe God can bring you out of a distressed place tonight? Come on, give him one more big praise tonight. I'm going to quit preaching. I'm going to quit preaching right there. I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes. I don't know who all is in this room tonight. and I've preached a long time. And, but I believe tonight you can be saved. Maybe you're in this place and you're not in relationship with Jesus. You're not right with God. It all starts with confession and repentance. It all starts with acknowledging where you are. If you're in this place and you need to make Jesus the Lord of your life tonight, you need him to forgive you of your sins and come into your heart to save you. Man, he wants to do that more than anything else. That is the number one thing we celebrate around here. If that is you tonight, you say, that's me, Pastor. I need to make things right with God tonight. If that's you, would you throw your hand up right there where you are and say, that's me. Thank you for those two hands back there. God bless you. Anyone else? You say, that's me tonight. Anyone else before we pray? Thank you, Holy Spirit, for speaking to your people. Come on, every voice lifted. We got two people coming into the family of God on a first Wednesday. It's a beautiful thing. Come on, let's, let's, let's pray with them, everybody together. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. Thank you for speaking to me tonight. Tonight, I ask you to forgive me 
to come into my heart, I confess you as my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, celebrate those two tonight. God bless you. God bless you. What a powerful time in God's... Anybody else sense the Holy Spirit in this place tonight? Wow. I want you, just for a moment, we're going to do another song, but we're going to do that right after communion. If you could just take a seat tonight, right there where you are, and we know that communion is a very powerful thing. Listen, communion is an intimate thing. It's not something you got to be afraid of. It's something that that's very powerful. The scripture t- tells us concerning communion that that many people were sick and afflicted and even died early because they did not understand the power of the blood of Jesus um, and, and, and partaking of the body in, in the sacrament of communion. So I, again, we don't want to make this a religious thing. This is not a religious thing. This is a relationship thing. And so I believe what we're going to do is we're going to take communion and as soon as we're done, we're going to let the worship team lead us and listen tonight. Don't allow the devil to steal your praise. So we're going we're gonna to take communion, and then we're going to praise God like we already have the victory. That's what we're going to do tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. If you, can, uh, if you didn't, anybody need communion elements? I didn't ask that. Thank you, God, I'm during the offering time, but if we missed anybody... You can go ahead and open everything, kind of get it ready. First Corinthians chapter number 11. I'm just going to pray before we do this. Father... In the name of Jesus, we come to you. God, we know that you're able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Holy Spirit, you have been here tonight in a very powerful way. You've spoken to us. God, I pray that your people understand tonight how valuable they truly are. And God, that you have a plan and a purpose even when it looks like they are in dire straits. God, that you can pull us out. If you were able to pull Jonah out of the belly of a whale, God, Lord, there's no sickness that can overtake us, no financial problem, no relationship issue, God, that you can't solve, that you can't deliver us out of. Tonight, God, we understand, God, our own inadequacies, our own shortcomings. We understand that we are weak at best, but your word says, God, that your strength is made perfect in our weakness. Holy Spirit, we invite you into this time of communion. God, that it would not be a religious thing tonight, but God, it would be a spiritual thing, a personal relationship thing. God, that you would meet your people in a powerful way. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Corinthians 11 says, I receive from the Lord that which which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you.
do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread. Verse 25 of the same chapter. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Let's take the cup. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Would you stand with me all over this place? And let's end this night with some praise. God bless you. Come on, let's lift him up.
thank you for every moment, Lord. God is about to give us an opportunity to praise Him with everything that we have. So when we enter into this next section, I want us to enter in together as one body, as one voice, with one praise. Lord, let it be your weapon tonight, church. Come on. Come on, we say this. Chains fall, fear about Him now. Jesus, you change everything. Come on, say. Lives healed, hope found here right now. Jesus, you change everything. Change There's nothing God won't do in an atmosphere of praise. There's nothing my God won't do when I surrender at His feet. Come on, take right now, take right now and just talk to the Lord, talk to the Lord. God is trying to do something powerful in this moment. He's saying it's unlocked by your praise. It's unlocked by your worship. Your praise will set you free. Prayer warriors all over this room tonight. Pray. Pray with everything that you have. Pray for the person on your left, on your right, in front of you, behind you. Pray for those that are coming after you this Sunday morning. Fill this room up with prayer right now. talk to the Lord. Tell him, tell him, tell him, tell him I'm not afraid. Tell him I'm not afraid. No fear can hold me back. I want us to sing that together tonight. 
as we end tonight, I want us to just say I'm not afraid. Nothing coming my way is going to hold me back. Nothing coming my way is going to hold me down. I am victorious through the name of Jesus. Do you believe it tonight? Then sing it with everything that you have. I have this confidence because I've seen the faithfulness of God. The still inside the storm, the promise of the shore. Come on, you say. I trust the power of your word. Enough to seek your kingdom first. Beyond the barren place, beyond the ocean waves. I want to hear you. When I walk through the waters, I won't be overcome. When I go through the rivers, you believe? I will not be drowned. My God will make a way, so I am not afraid. Yeah. Let your praise fill this place. Come on. Oh, come on. Believe this. You keep the promises you make. Oh, yes, you do. There isn't one that is delayed, so I will not lose heart. Here I will lift my arms. Yes, it's time to sing into the night. Hey, my praise will call the sun to rise. Declare the battle won. Declare that it is done. When I walk through the waters, I won't be overcome. When I go through the rivers, I will not be drowned. My God will make a way. Say, I'm not afraid. When I am in the fire, I will not build a blade. I stand before the giant. Declaring victory, my God will make a way, so I am not afraid. Before me, behind me, say, always beside me, no shadow, no valley, where you won't find me, no I am not afraid. Shout before me, before me, behind me. Always beside me, no shadow, no valley, where you won't find me, no, I am not afraid. You say, no, I am not Come on, give it all you got tonight, child. We say, when I walk through the wild, I won't be overcome, I start going through the God will make a way, so I'm not afraid. When I am in the fire, I will not fear the flame. I stand before the child, declaring victory. My God will make a way, so I'm not afraid. My God will make a way, so I'm not afraid. You say. No, I am not afraid. Declare.
roar of praise tonight. Oh my goodness. Well, how do you end a night like this? Amen. How about one more roar of praise for the Lord tonight? This Sunday morning, you bring this fire with you, all right? You bring the fire with you. We set the pace together. Come on. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Bethesda Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our website, BethesdaChurch.tv. Thank you for joining us and have a great day.